Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. There are a lot of things that feel different about church right now. Without the ability to collectively and unrestrictedly gather each week in one location, it's easy to wonder if the way we do church will ever go back to normal. Throughout the Bible, we see very clear core values that have guided God's people for thousands of years, no matter the circumstances or season. And we implement these same ideals in shaping ministry here at Vintage Church. In this summer series, we are talking about our core values, knowing that strategies may change, but what matters most will not. Ain't it good just to be having church today? Come on. To everybody that's online, I love technology. I love that we have the ability to right now be going into people's homes who aren't ready or don't feel comfortable yet coming and different things with stuff. And so I'm glad, but I ain't gonna lie. There ain't nothing like being in this room and hearing people in it. I preach, anyway, grab your Bible and go to John chapter three, because that's where we're gonna set up shop in just a moment. John chapter three. Uh, but while you're turning there, God teaching you things through this season? No? Okay, let's go home. Is God teaching you things through this season? I hope so. Is God, do you like everything that God's teaching you? No. I'll answer for you. No. You know, and there's some things that, that you can't only learn in season like this, right? There's some things you, you can't go around it. You have to go through it to learn it. Can somebody testify? There's things that you learn about struggle and suffering only through struggle and suffering. You can't just read about it in a book. You can't just hear about it through a podcast. Like you have to go through it. And I know that stinks, but it's real. And welcome to real church right now, okay? And one of the things that God has constantly reminded me lately is how valuable it is what I allow myself to consume. Because what I am consuming is affecting what is consuming me. And what I consume is deeply connected to what I contribute. Somebody understand what I'm talking about? What we consume really matters. And we cannot contribute things that are positive, things that are godly, things that are good, unless we are consuming things that are positive, things that are godly, and things that are good. So what you consuming? Because we have a lot of options right now, don't we? We walk around again with these devices in our pocket, and we just have negativity sitting right there in digital form all the time. One of the things I used to tell students when I was a youth pastor was never forget that your soul is a sponge. Your soul is a sponge. And whatever you step into, whatever you dip your heart into, it's gonna absorb it. And I'm about to blow you away with my brilliance. Are you ready? So funny. <laughs> 10 out of 10 times when squeezed, what will come out of the sponge is what it's consumed. It is what is absorbed. That when you, when, when it, whatever a sponge absorbs, when you squeeze it, that's exactly what will come from it. You cannot put a sponge in muddy water 
wring it out and expect clean water to come out. I told you I was going to blow you away with my brilliant. Y'all like, that is really true. Whatever, and your soul is the same way. Whatever you absorb, whatever you consume, when you get squeezed, that is what's going to come out. Is life squeezing anybody? Six of you. <laughs> what are the rest of y'all doing? Because I need to know. Like, does anybody feel like right now life just seems to be wrenching on you? at every turn through stuff dealing with COVID and all the racial tension and, and, and murder hornets. And, and like, there's all these wild things in the news. And, it's, and it seems like life is just constantly ringing me out. And so right now I'm being very conscious of what I'm consuming because I can, if I'm like you, I can get caught up in the hype of, of just consuming what the news is telling me or consuming what social media is trying to put in front of my face. And what I'm learning is if I am going to pour out things that this world needs, I've got to be really conscious of what I'm consuming. And you know what I've discovered? That now more than ever, I need to consume as much of this as I possibly can. That our need to feast on the word of God is more important than it's ever been because we are constantly being exposed to things that stand contrary to this. Come on, somebody. And to counteract all those things that are coming at me, like I need to get into the word more. And what I've even discovered in, in seasons like this, your normal routine will not work. Some of y'all are like, I've been in the Bible, Matt, every day for 50 years. Every morning I have black coffee and King James. <laughs> and I would submit to you, it's kind of like, if, if, if you're training for a marathon, you can't run a mile a day. I ain't never run a marathon. That's why I got in many cars. I don't want to run 26 miles. But you can't... You, the intensity of the competition must ramp up the intensity of the training. And right now in our lives, the intensity has ramped up. Come on. And so I deeply believe that our preparation, our spiritual training has to equally be as intense. And so can I challenge you, church, you watching online, you gotta do more than you once were. That's the season that we're in. And I don't know when it's gonna be over. And if you're reading the verse of the day on the YouVersion Bible app, that ain't enough. Not good grammar, but great preaching right now. <laughs> it's not enough. Can somebody let me, can, uh, can I get some agreement from the church? It's not enough. You have so many other things. And the, th the thing about a sponge is too, once you get wrung out for you to pour out something good, you gotta take a new dip. And some of us, the only dip we get is when we're here in this room or watching this online and it's just not enough. And right now, the people of God are in need of contributing some hope and peace and unity and love in this world. And it's not gonna come from of us until it's in us and we gotta pour it up. So me and God, been having a lot of conversations.
And I used to be, I'm, I'm a big fan of reading plans. I love that version Bible app y'all have. I'm sure most of us have that. It's great because it's got a plan on everything. You can think of every topic and that kind of stuff. But back, even before the, the first of the year, I felt God pushing me to, to change the way I read scripture. And what I heard from him was pick a book and stay in it till I tell you to leave. Just push through it. Just start a book. I'm like, like for how long, God? And, and, until I tell you we're done. And it's not about reading a chapter a day and then a, and, and just start. And sometimes I would, I would spend a whole week in the same chapter. I would spend a whole week in like just a few verses. And God was like, it's not about you getting through as much scripture. It's getting as much scripture in you as I possibly can so that when life squeezes you like it's about to, what comes out of you is the things of me and not the things of your flesh. And you saw that play out in our teaching series over the last several months. And that's why they've been kind of prolonged. Did you notice the last four weeks of aftermath, we walked through the book of Philippians. We went chapter by chapter, Philippians one, two, three, and four. It was because God camped me out in the book of Philippians right after Easter. And I just been reading and reading and reading and reading. And I finished that. And then I started praying, God, what do you, where do you want me to go next? Where do you want me to go next? And I felt led to the gospel of John. And I said, God, really? You ever ask God if he knows what he's doing? Like, are you sure? Because of all the books of the Bible, I've read John the most. I've read John, I've, I've spent more time in my 42 years of life reading through the gospel of John than any other book. And you know what I told God? I know all that stuff. I've read the gospel of John so many times. But God said, no, the gospel of John, because what I've been praying is, I, in the world that we live in, I deeply believe that living and loving like Jesus is as, is as necessary now as it's ever been. We need to be reflecting Jesus everywhere we go. The world needs Jesus, people. The answer to every question, Jesus. And we're supposed to reflect him. And I hear people say this all the time. I hear, you ever heard this phrase, my Jesus? Your Jesus? Is my Jesus and your Jesus the same Jesus? And you hear that say, my Jesus and my Jesus and my Jesus. And, and I get that Jesus is personal, personable, but Jesus is not negotiable. Jesus is not some character in history that is fictional and we get to fabricate and make him up. That I, don't, I don't want your Jesus. I want the scripture Jesus, the real Jesus, the, the one that God showed us through his word, not the one worked by your experience, tainted by your culture, and that fits the narrative that makes you most comfortable. <laughs> Jesus, B-I-B-L-E Jesus. Did I spell that right? Yes, I did. And here's the thing, God saw fit to show him to us. And he's littered all through the pages of this book, not just the gospels. But fortunately for us, God gave us these four books as we enter into the New Testament that we know as the gospels, where we get the life and teachings of Jesus. And the reason why that John has always meant so much to me is because it's so different than all the others. You have Matthew, who is one of the original 12, and, and he writes his gospel. The other two gospels are written by people that, that didn't physically walk with Jesus, but had the accounts. You have Luke, 
who was this Greek physician. He was a, a man of logic and science. And he opens his gospel and he says, I've investigated all these things. That my belief in Jesus didn't come on whimsically. It didn't come just by without searching and researching. And Luke says, I've investigated this stuff. I've talked to these people. And this is what I've learned from the people that did walk with Jesus. And here it is. And I don't know if you know this, but Mark was written by John Mark, who had been discipled by Peter. And Peter had, had given his account to Mark as he wrote these things down and gives us his experience with Jesus. But John is unique. It has things in it that the other ones don't. And it's written later than all the other ones as John is coming toward the end of his life. And John had this unique relationship with Jesus, unlike anybody else. John even refers to himself many times as the disciple that Jesus loved most. Now, I don't know if Jesus ever told him that, but John just took some liberty. And he had these unique, him and his brother and Peter, they got to see things that the others didn't get to see. They got to experience things that the others didn't get to experience. And so he pins this letter. And what I love about it, he doesn't give us baby Jesus in the major eight pounds with his, whatever. You know, he just jumps right in. And he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And, and he just jumps out. And you know what I think he's doing? I think he knew we would be ADD. And what he's saying is, if you're not able to get through all this book, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the gospel in a chapter. And if you read John chapter one, you have all you need to know to find salvation in Jesus. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. You can just read John chapter one. He says, here it is. Here's what happened. God became man, y'all. I know it. I saw him. I walked with him. And it changed my life completely. I've been reading through this book and he moves into this opening dialogue not recounting his birth, but reflecting on the impact of his life. And he tells of the stories of the first that would begin to follow Jesus and takes all the way up to the point where he meets John the Baptist and John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And then you start Jesus doing some really interesting things. John's the only one that records the turning water into wine. The one miracle that no Southern Christian likes to preach on because we're talking about wine and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Y'all know the beauty of that miracle? Can I give you the beauty of that miracle? That in the hands of Jesus, even the most ordinary substance can come extraordinary. That's good. Turns water into wine. And then he goes into Jerusalem and he begins to teach and does all these things. And he walks into the temple and he's furious at what he finds because the leaders of the religious system at that time have hijacked it and they're using it for something it's not supposed to be to make money. And they're making a mockery of all that God wanted to use the temple to be. And he goes in there like Indiana Jones with a whip and just starts flicking that thing around and turning over tables and runs them all off. The Bible's fun. Y'all aren't smiling, but it's okay. And that gets the attention. And so from very early on, Jesus gets on the radar of the religious people. The Pharisees are wondering who this guy is and what he's about and what he's doing and who he thinks he is because that was their job. You do realize that Jesus wasn't the first one to step on the scene and to, claim to make the claims that he made. Jesus wasn't the first one. See, the nation of Israel had been expecting a Messiah, a savior from the onset. 
And over time, they got a little bit twisted in their mind what that Messiah, what that Savior would look like. They began to believe that the Messiah would actually be a political revolution to free them from the oppression of Rome. And so that, they got fixated on that. They thought that, that this Messiah was gonna come and build the nation of Israel back to its heydays of, of David and Solomon. And they would be free from the oppression of Rome and be a great nation again. And so every time a prophet rose up, they got curious because they were looking for one to free them from that oppression. But they made it their job to sniff these guys out. And if they didn't fit their narrative, they would do everything they could to end it. And so that's what began to happen is the Pharisees were beginning, we gotta see if this Jesus guy, who is he? What is he about? Because we're not sure, isn't that Joseph's boy from Nazareth? Don't he make chairs or something? Isn't he a carpenter? And then in John chapter three, John tells us of a conversation that has always fascinated me with a guy by the name of Nicodemus. So go with me, John chapter three, I'm gonna start with verse one. John chapter three, pick up with verse one. And now I don't, I always wonder, is John present for this conversation or did Jesus tell him about it later? Is he there in the room as Jesus and Nicodemus are having the conversation that we're about to read about? I don't know. John chapter three, verse one. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Now my whole life, I've heard messages preached about Nicodemus. And I'm afraid that we make some assumptions about Nicodemus that aren't accurate and aren't fair. See, we have this in our mindset. We've heard, we've heard preachers preach about Nicodemus believed in Jesus, but he was so ashamed and so scared that he comes to Jesus under the dark covenant of night as if Nicodemus is kind of lur lurking back in the shadows. Jesus, come here. I want to talk to you, but I don't want my friends to see you talking to me. Why do we assume that? We, anybody ever heard sermons like that? Come on, that, that, that he comes to him at night because he doesn't, maybe, maybe Jesus had a full schedule and night was the only time he could fit Nicodemus in. We don't, we don't know that. We don't know that he doesn't come out in, in, in full view of everyone. It just says he came at night. Maybe John is just time stamping the conversation based on his memory. It just happened to be in the evening, in at night. But we've said, oh, he comes lurking in the shadows. Jesus, I can't let people know that I'm talking to you. But notice what the way John records the conversation. First, he calls Jesus rabbi. That would have been so weird. Again, there was rap, to get the title rabbi, there's a lot you have to go through. Nicodemus wouldn't just throw rabbi around because that's a very important title. That means you've gone through some serious education. You spent years stuttering under people who knew a lot, who'd spent their whole lives studying the Bible and before you could ever get that title. And is he using that because he believes that Jesus to be a teacher or is he just coming and he's using rabbi and saying these things so that Jesus would be open to a conversation? Then notice, notice what it says next. 
Go back to verse two. It says, we know. We know that you are a teacher sent from God. Can I tell you what I really believe happened? What if Nicodemus wasn't there just for himself on his own? He would have probably been a part knowing that he was the Jewish guy. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. He probably multiple times in his life would have been tasked to go sniff out false prophets and stop them. And so what if there's a time, maybe he's in the temple that day that Jesus comes in and clears the temple and sends everybody out. And he's part of this conversation. I'm like, did y'all see what Jesus did? Somebody got to do something about this. Who's going to do it? Nicodemus, we think you should. Nicodemus, we think you're you're smart, you're well-known, you're wealthy, you have authority. We choose you to go investigate this Jesus and see what it's about. Maybe maybe Nicodemus didn't show up that night because he was falling in love with Jesus and he just didn't want to be seen. Maybe he's coming for some other reason. Y'all with me? I don't, know, I don't know what his motives or his intentions were. How, why is it we're so convinced that we have to determine everybody's motives and intentions without even knowing the whole story? We're really good at that as Christians, aren't we? But Jesus was ready for him. Because look what he says. He says, you know, you're a teacher. We know that you come from God. Nobody could perform the signs you're doing. And verse three, like Jesus doesn't wait for him. John doesn't record a question being asked. Jesus just comes right at him in verse three. and says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No small talk, no chit chat. No, how's the weather? How's your mom and them? No, no one can see the kingdom unless you are born again. And right out of the gate, Jesus comes beginning to challenge everything that Nicodemus had put hope and faith and trust in. And look at how he responds. Uh, Verse four, how can someone be born again when they old? Surely they cannot enter into a second time into their mother's womb to be born. That'd be a neat trick. He's like, wait, wait. Nobody can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Nick, Jesus, what are you talking about? Like, I know you've done some weird stuff, but now you're saying some strange things. And Jesus answered in verse five, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is everyone born of the spirit. And Nicodemus responds, how can this be? And now Nicodemus is so confused why he came there for that night, for that conversation. What his motives were in engaging Jesus that night, we really can never say for certain. But Jesus makes it very clear what he's trying to accomplish as he has this opportunity. He says, Nicodemus, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, before you ask me anything, before you can't see, you can't even enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And Nicodemus says, huh? And now for us, we look at that number, the kingdom of God would have had great weight and meaning to Nicodemus. 
Nicodemus walked in that night believing that he was a part of it by birth, that he was born into it, raised in it, grew up in it, trained in it, knew all the things about it, was a part of the religious system, even rose to authority and hierarchy in that system. And you're telling me like, I can't see it or enter it unless I'm what? I'm a part of it. I'm a ruler in it. I'm a player in this thing. And he's like, no, unless you're born again. And you know, a culture where they talked about birthrights and inheritance from birth was a big deal. And he's saying that first birth that you had that you think makes you entitled to all this stuff, it doesn't. I know you think because you were born in this amazing family and you grew up in this space and you grew up in this church and you grew up being taught all the right things. I know that you think that that first birth has given you the keys to the kingdom, but the keys to the kingdom don't come through that birth, they come through another one. And the second one is not like the first. The first was born of flesh. The second is born of the spirit. And unless you're born of the spirit and the flesh, you will never see or enter this kingdom that you've been waiting for, fighting for, and believing in. And Nicodemus' whole world is being turned upside down. In one moment, everything that he had believed in, everything that he had worked for, everything that he thought would give him a great position in this kingdom he had long awaited got turned on its head. And Jesus wasn't done. It says, verse 10, it says, you're Israel's teacher and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people did not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. And once again, Nicodemus, his ears would have picked up, his eyes would have turned toward Jesus because that, that phrase, the son of man, that was the one. That was the one that slittered throughout the entire Old Testament that was the, the phrase that was attached to the Messiah that he had long awaited. And now Nicodemus is probably starting to, to think a little bit different and, and pay a little bit more attention because he's heard this phrase, the son of man. Verse 13, excuse me, verse 14. It says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up and that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. And now Nicodemus is starting to kind of somewhat wrap his mind around what Jesus has just said. Here, I'm supposed to be a part of the kingdom, born in the kingdom, from the kingdom, of the kingdom. And now he's telling me that I have to have this new birth, a second birth, a rebirth in order to get that. And then he tells him a story he'd have been very well acquainted with. Moses was their hero. Moses was the last liberator of his people. He was the one that they looked up to, that they idolized. He says, you remember this story of Moses? When he's leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt, and there was a time when, when they were going through the wilderness and, and many of the people began to get bit by snakes that were poisonous and deadly. And so people were dying from the snake bites. And God instructed Moses, Moses, take copper and make a snake and put it up on a pole and put that pole and raise it up. And every time somebody is bitten by a snake and death is imminent, when they look upon the snake on the pole, they will sign salvation. He's saying, here's what's gonna happen. This rebirth that I'm talking about that will get you into the kingdom 
Remember that story of Moses? It's similar to that. Said this time, instead of a copper snake, it will be the son of man, a son from God who will be lifted up and those who will look upon him will find the salvation necessary to give them the rebirth needed to step into the kingdom. And with that, the conversation is over. John gives us no record of what happened next, no idea of what would come, but we would see Nicodemus again. Go to John chapter seven. Jesus is continuing to teach and he's continuing to go and make waves all through this religious community and people are curious as to what's happening so much so that Nicodemus, his, his peers, his colleagues send guards to arrest him. But even the guards are captivated by Jesus's words and can't understand how somebody with, with so little training could speak in such a way. And the guards come back and this is what happens. Verse 45 of John chapter seven, it says, finally, the temple guards went back into the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? Verse 46, no one ever spoke the way he does. The guards replied, you mean he's deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. And then verse 50, Nicodemus, the same Nicodemus who for whatever reason went to Jesus one evening to have a conversation is there. In verse 51, it says, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it. You will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Once again, Nicodemus shows up and we have an encounter and another conversation, but we still have no idea if that conversation in chapter three, what he's done with it. We don't know if he's put his faith and trust in Jesus if he hasn't. We don't know what he's done with what he knows. But that wouldn't be the last time we would see Nicodemus. He would show up again one more time. Go over to John chapter 19. <clears throat> this is now after Jesus has hung on the cross, breathed his last, and it's time for something to be done with his body. John chapter 19, verse 38. It says, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he had feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. So Jesus has died. Jesus has been lifted up on the cross. Now his body, they just want something to do with it. They're just gonna trash it, the Roman government, like they did every other body. But Joseph of Arimathea, who John says was a believer, comes, but he has company. Verse 39, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And that would be the last we would hear of, see of, have any information about Nicodemus. I don't know where he went from there. I don't know if Nicodemus ever believed. There's nothing that says with concrete evidence that he ever put his trust and faith and hope in Jesus. I don't know what happened, but this is what I do know. He knew all he needed to know to make that decision and he had to make it for himself. What I do know is God through the provision and through conversation and through all the things that Jesus was exposing, he knew what it meant. He knew what it took. He, 
He had it very clear in front of him how to enter into the thing he had always wanted. And it was up to him to do something with it. And that's true about every human who's ever lived. That God is calling out to you and he's using conversations and messages and worship experience and all this thing to give you what you need to know about how to be saved, how to enter the kingdom, how to experience salvation. You've just heard it today. If you're in this room or if you're watching online, I'm gonna tell you all you know, all you need to know to be saved. What you do with it is up to you. And John's hope was in writing this gospel that everyone who would read it would make the same decision he did to believe in Jesus with everything that they had. That's why he got it out of the way in chapter one. Go back to chapter one. John one, verse 11. He, Jesus, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to all those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. John says, in case you get bored, in case you're not gonna stay with me through this whole thing, in case you don't come back again today or never watch with us online, I need you to know, for you to enter into the kingdom of God, believe, receive, become. He said, it's not, it's not difficult. Yeah, following Jesus is gonna be hard, but to experience salvation, he said, let me go ahead and tell you, believe that the one who was raised up, that when you look upon him and see him for who he is and accept the sacrifice he's made, that he gives you the forgiveness and freedom to have that rebirth, that born again experience, that second chance you need so that you can become a child of God and step into the full inheritance afforded to his children. Now you know, but you've got to decide what to do with it. You got to have that moment where you make a decision. I remember mine and it, my experience got triggered today. <laughs> it was 1992, I was 14 years old. I was sitting in the lodge at Victory Mountain Camp which is not far from where we stand. I can't tell you what the preacher preached on, but I can tell you the Holy Spirit began to stir something in me, so much so that it forced me out of that building. And I went and I sat on the concrete steps on that campground that lead down to the pool house. And I felt the Lord just say, Matt, you've got to make a decision. You can't get to heaven based on your parents' faith. Either you want me and you love me or you don't. You've got, you've got to decide. They cannot decide for you. You've got to make a decision. Are you gonna do, what are you gonna do with what you know? Because you've known it your whole life. And in that moment, I made the decision to believe and receive his grace and become his child. And you know, you know what made me think of that story today? That night, the song they were playing right before I got out of that building was, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. The song that we sang right before I began to preach. And Christian, when he put that song in the set list, had no idea. That was my moment. And I believe that today, 
is gonna be a moment for some people in this room or some people watching online. It's time to do something with what you know, to believe, receive, so that you can become. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? You know all you need to know. The reality is the moment that Nicodemus walked away from that first conversation, Jesus had just explained to him everything he would need to experience salvation. And I don't know if he even realized it yet. I do wonder that before he brought those burial spices, if he was standing in the crowd that day and he saw the ruckus around Golgotha where Romans would crucify criminals. And I wonder if he looked up there and said, is that Jesus? And then he remembered, just like Moses took the snake and lifted it up and all who looked upon it would find salvation. I wonder if he looked upon that cross and in that moment, the awareness of everything that had Jesus had said washed over him. And that's why he showed up that day with those spices because he realized I've seen the Messiah and I believe I receive so that I might become. If you've never made that decision, you don't need to regurgitate some prayer that I would give you. All you need to do is acknowledge in your heart and speak it in your mind that Jesus is Lord. Acknowledge what he has done for you. Believe in his sacrifice so that you can receive his grace for the sin that has separated from you, him from you, and that you can have a relationship with God. Father, I pray right now that all throughout this room, all those who are watching online, that we would examine our hearts. God, if they haven't had that moment, that time, and we've made that decision to personally choose you, that your spirit would draw them unto yourself and that all over this room and all over the world, people are stepping into the kingdom because you've made it possible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and opportunities to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.